We've been working our way through the books of First and Second Samuel uh, over the past few months. And as we've been going through Second uh, Samuel, we've seen that, uh, well, First and Second Samuel, we're, we're looking at David's life, uh, the history of David's life. And that may bring up some questions for some of us, is why are we studying and looking at the life of uh, this king from so long ago and then applying it to our own lives and to, to Jesus? What's the, what's the connection? Why would the life of, of King David have any application to the life of God's people now? What we've seen is that in the, the New Testament is consistent in pointing us and showing and wanting to reveal to us that Jesus is the heir of David. He is the one that through whom God promised that there would be a forever kingdom. And one would sit on David's throne and he would rule and he would reign forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God gave to David. Therefore, if we want to understand who Jesus is and what his rule and his reign means and how we should respond to him, uh, then a great place for us to look would be at the life of David as we understand uh, what, how God's king operated, how he functioned, how he came short, how Jesus fulfill, fulfills all of that. Uh, where we left off last week, uh, David, remember, had been rejected uh, by his people. His son Absalom had sought to, to overthrow uh, the kingdom. Uh, but uh, David and his, uh, his army came out victorious, not because of their might and their skill, but because of God's judgment upon Absalom and those who would rebel against God and his anointed one. Uh, this morning, uh, David is going to return to Jerusalem. But before he returns, and as he returns, he sends messages Messages to two groups of people. Messages to the rebellious. And he also communicates messages to the faithful. As we look at David's life this morning, may we also consider our response to the message that Jesus, the true and forever King, extends to us. So, let's turn together. We're in chapter 19 of the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 8, where we left off last week, and go to the end of the chapter. So, if you would, please follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Um, if you're in one of the black Bibles there, this is, starts on page 271. So, let's hear the Word of the Lord. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back. 
And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house, when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in the place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Baharim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his fifteen sons and his twenty servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed Yahweh's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why do you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all since my lord the king has come safely home. Now Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I'll provide for you with me in in Jerusalem. But Barzillai uh, said to the king, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant Chimham, 
Let him go over with my lord the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. And all that you desire of me I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. All the people of Judah, and also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan, and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all of the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Let's pray. Our God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, how you continue uh, to show us uh, the faithfulness of your revelation. Um, how you have preserved accurately for us uh, who you are and uh, a record of all of your great works uh, in the world on behalf of your your people. Uh, We pray now that as we look at David's life, that we would behold Christ uh, and that you would turn our hearts in full allegiance to him. For his glory we pray. Amen. So kids, this morning, if you want to draw a picture for me, I'm going to have you draw four different little pictures. One would be of uh, the people, the two groups of people that you find arguing with one another in this passage. Next, uh, draw me a picture of the guy who was cursing the king. Then draw me a picture of the really dirty guy in the passage. And then draw me a picture of the really old guy. So the arguers, the cursor, the dirty guy, and the old guy. Alright? So, as we look at this passage, we see King David sending and communicating messages to... His people. We're going to look at it because there's two uh, large groups of people that we could uh, group together in this passage. First, we're going to look in the first half of the passage we looked at this morning and see the message that David sends, the king sends to the rebellious. And then we want to look at the messages that the king sends to the faithful. So first, look at the message that the king sends to the rebellious. Notice how the passage begins in verse 8. Remember, David was victorious. He's on the other side of the Jordan. He comes back to the gates of Mahanaim, and the people who were with him came before the king. Those were those who had gone over with David in, uh, in exile and who were battling with him against those who had rebelled. What about those who rebelled? Well, notice how they respond. The last half of verse 8 Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. These are those who had rebelled against David as king. Notice how they even acknowledge this. 
They say in verse 9, all the people were arguing throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he's fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? They're acknowledging and communicating what they did. We've rejected God's anointed one, David, as our king, and we set up somebody else over us as the king. And now that one that we set up, he's dead. What are we going to do? What are we going to do now that we have been the rebellious ones? Not just the people of Israel, but also the focus is on the people of Judah. Because remember, it was in Judah, in the, the, the town of Hebron, which is located right in the middle of their tribal allotment of land, that that's where they brought Absalom together and they anointed him as king. Judah played a central role in this rebellion against God's king. What is David's message? Notice he doesn't come first with sword and army, storming back into Judah and back into Jerusalem to wipe out all those who rebelled against him. To punish them. No. First, the returning king sends a message. A message to this rebellious people, and it's a message of repentance. He calls them to repent. Notice what he says to the people of Judah. David says, he sends these messengers, Zadok and Abiathar, Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? Then he goes on down. He said, then why should you bring, be the last to bring the, back the king? In other words, what is he saying? You sent me away. You rejected me. I'm calling you to repent, to turn from your rebellion, and again, turn and give your allegiance to me. Bring me back and give your loyalty to me as king over you and king over the people of God. Notice their response. And he swayed, this is in verse 14, he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. They respond to this message that the returning king sends of calling them to repent, and they respond by repenting. This is very similar to how we see King Jesus responding. King Jesus, who is king, not just because he's related to David, but because he's God. Jesus took on flesh. He became a man born into the family of David. So he is the rightful heir to the throne, but he's created and made all things. All of it says he rules over it all. He is the king. And yet he has been rejected. Rejected by his people. Rejected by all of creation. So who has the right when he enters and he returns into his world to come with wrath? To come with judgment? To come with punishment? It is Jesus the ruling and reigning and returning king who has been rebelled against. 
But how does he come? Just like David. With a message first, not the sword. And what is that message? As Jesus began his earthly ministry, his first message that he proclaimed is this. Repent. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. How merciful of Jesus. How gracious. What did we deserve but the sword? But what does he extend instead? A message calling us to repent, to turn from our rebellion and to look to him as our king. Now, some of you here might be saying, this language is a little harsh. Am I really a rebel against Jesus? From the Scripture's perspective, if you are not looking and resting and trusting in Jesus, if He does not have your full allegiance, if you've not abandoned your claim and your right to rule your own life, and you're looking to Him as the one who is in charge, and who deserves all of your uh, obedience and your worship and to whom you owe everything, if you're looking to any other God or you're living your life in your own way, Jesus would say, yes, that is exactly appropriate language. For you have rejected me as your king. I am not just some itinerant preacher that grew up in Israel in AD 30. I am your creator. I am your king. And hear my message. Repent. Turn to me. But it's not just a message of repentance that Jesus sends to rebels. He also sends a message of forgiveness. Look. Look in verse 13. And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of my army now, from now on in place of Joab. Do you remember who Amasa was? This is the guy that Absalom set up as the commander of his army. This message that the returning king is extending, one of repentance, is also one of forgiveness. And that even the one who was at the front leading this rebellious army whose main goal was to go out and kill King David, David says, I am extending not just a message of calling you to repent, but I am offering forgiveness and that you can be received back into my people, into my kingdom, not just as a lowly servant, which is more than you deserve, but as the commander and ruler of, of my army. Not just that. Look at his response to Shimei. Shimei hears of this, what David is saying, of what he's communicating. Remember who Shimei was, the one when David was leaving before. He came out and with stones and dirt and curses was cursing David and saying that he had been rejected by God. Notice what he says in verse 18. Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, let not my Lord hold me guilty 
or remember your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. He comes. He falls on his knees before David, and he repents, acknowledging his sin, asking if at all possible that David would forgive him of what he has done. Notice Abishai again says, should Shimei not be put to death because of he cursed Yahweh's anointed? But in verse 22, David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. Here, one who cursed David on his way out of town, David extends and offers to him forgiveness. You shall not die. David, it seems, is familiar with following a king who when one comes to him in repentance, he offers and extends a message of forgiveness. He offers and extends to one who acknowledges, I have sinned, and he hears back, you shall not die. Do we not hear the same thing from Jesus? Who communicates and speaks to his people through his apostles? That if we confess our sin... He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why would He do that? We've rebelled against Him. We've rejected Him. And yet, He extends to us this message that if we look to Him and we hope in Him, our sin can be forgiven. Our sin can be removed and taken away from us. Do you hear the message of the returning king? Jesus is coming back. The scriptures make that clear. And he is being patient. He is delaying his return so that this message of repentance and this message of forgiveness can spread and go out to rebellious humanity, that they might turn and acknowledge Him. Remember what we heard and we've read multiple times, going back to Psalm 2. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. The hope we have is listening and responding to this message of repentance, that forgiveness can be found in Jesus. What about you? Who are here this morning? Is there anyone here who is continuing to live in rebellion against Jesus. Do you hear His message? Do you hear His call to repent? Do you hear His offer of forgiveness as you look to Him? How will you respond to that message this day? That's the, the point of what we're seeing here. How will the people respond to the message of the returning King? Will you reject it? Will you ignore it? Will you receive it and respond and flee to your king in repentance and find forgiveness? One caution, though, that we see here in this passage is that 
The response to this message must not just be with words. It must not just be something outward. Notice how the people end up responding. These ones who communicated, return, David. In fact, in verse 40, the king went on up the Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. So Israel is beginning to follow along with at least words and outward actions of repentance as well. But then notice what happens in verse 41 and following. The men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense, or has he given us any gifts? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king. And in David also we have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. John the Baptist, the one who was preparing the way for Jesus to return, what he spoke and he communicated to the people is that they needed to bear fruit that kept with repentance. Is there evidence in your life of the repentance that you're communicating and speaking with your mouth? Notice what the people of Israel and Judah are doing here. They're not gripped with the magnitude of their sin. They're not moved and have a focus on the grace and mercy of David, their king. They're focused on themselves. Who's better? Who's greater? Who repented first? Who's closer to David? Who has a greater status? Who has more honor before him? Who does he like more? Who lives better before him? They're focused on what they have done. On themselves. On why they merit or they are closer or they have more right to David's return and what he's doing in their lives than the other. This is not fruit of repentance. This is a heart that is still at its core demonstrating rebellion. And in fact, we'll see it demonstrate itself in chapter 20 when we look at this again. The people of Israel rebel against David one more time. Or we look at Shimei, who communicated and articulated, I've sinned, will you forgive me, David? David says, you will not die. Well, later, when David's son Solomon comes to reign, there's stipulations that are put forth before Shimei to see if he will follow through with the fruit that, that demonstrates repentance. And he does not follow along with those things. And he disobeys. Solomon and the line, the things that have been put in place. And he too suffers for his rejection and his rebellion against the king. We need to be very careful that we don't think that just because we speak something, that you pray a prayer at some church service or some religious gathering or a youth retreat, that just because you prayed this prayer and you spoke things out with your mouth, that that means you have actually repented and that you're resting and hoping in Jesus. Do you see the fruit of repentance in your life? Are you resting, ongoing, actively hoping and depending and resting and trusting in Jesus? That's what Jesus is calling you to. He's not saying just utter something at one moment in time. He's saying, give your life to me. Do you hear his message?
So we've seen the message that Jesus extends to the rebellious. But Jesus also extends and offers a message to the faithful. Notice, we encounter Mephibosheth. You remember what happened the last time we heard of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, again, was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. Uh, David had promised through Jonathan to do uh, to extend great kindness and mercy to Mephibosheth, which he did, giving Mephibosheth all of, of Saul's land, and he was given the, the honor and privilege of being able to eat at David's table forever. Remember Ziba, the servant who was placed over all of the, the, the land to care for it, because remember Mephibosheth was lame and he couldn't do anything for himself. He said that when Mephibosheth heard word that David had been run out of Jerusalem, that he had rejected David, and that he was looking now for the opportunity for the, the throne to be returned to him. The last time we heard about Mephibosheth, it looked as if Mephibosheth was one of the rebels. But here we find out something very different. Look at what we see in verse 24. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my house but were uh, men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. We know that Ziba was lying. Why? Well, the author of Second Samuel tells us how Mephibosheth had been carrying on with his life since David left. Mephibosheth was tricked and unable to go into exile with the king, but he remains faithful at home, living as if in exile, not washing himself, not trimming his beard or caring for himself at all. He is longing and he's in mourning and he's hoping and anticipating the return of the king. He acknowledges the great mercy of what, who, who the king has, has, has been to him. Notice what he says. I was but a dead man. I deserved Death, because I was a part of the other regime, but yet you had extended me grace and mercy. Here, Mephibosheth is demonstrating himself, not just outwardly, but as he continues to communicate and demonstrate and show his faithfulness to God's anointed one and his recognition. There's nothing I've done. I don't deserve this. In fact, I deserve the opposite. Do you notice the difference between his response and the response of that of the men of Israel and Judah, who are pointing to all that they have done and why they deserve a share in the king? And Mephibosheth's response is, I don't deserve any of this. I want to give my praise and my honor to God's gracious anointed one 
who has given me far more than I deserve. Notice, the message that David extends to him is one of restoration. What was taken from him? All of his land was given to Ziba. But notice, David says, all right, I'm going to split the the land with you. You and Ziba shall divide it. Now here, David, he made a, a hasty decision before, not knowing all the details. Here he's trying to restore it, but it's a message of incomplete restoration. But notice Mephibosheth's response. Oh, let him take it all. Since my Lord the King has come safely home. What's Mephibosheth's great focus? It's not the gifts of restoration from the king. His focus is on the giver. Take it all. I don't care about the land. What I care about is you, my good and my gracious king. It seems like what Mephibosheth is saying is that he will count all things as loss for the sake of knowing his king and being in fellowship with his king and being able to eat at the table of his king. This sounds very much like the response of the faithful in the New Testament who hearing of the restoring work of Jesus and his work in their lives respond in this way. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's anointed one or king. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, I've done nothing. He is the holy and righteous one that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Jesus promised restoration. Restoration of all that sin has taken, all that has been lost, but a full, a complete, and a total restoration. Even restoring to us death if we lose our life before Jesus returns. But notice the response of the faithful to Jesus' message of restoration. The gifts aren't what are important. It's the giver. I will consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus, my King. Where are your heart? What about mine? When you hear the good news of the message of the gospel, are you more focused on escaping hell or getting heaven? Or is it on Jesus? The good news of the gospel is not heaven. The gospel is Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer. Do you hear his message to you, the faithful? As you look and you rest and you hope in Christ, he is promising restoration for you. And it comes in a relationship to him. So we've seen his message to the faithful, one of restoration. But also, lastly, as we look at Barzillai, we see... 
a message of reward. In 32, it tells us that Barzillai was a very aged man. He was 80 years old. But notice what it tells us. He had provided the king with food while he stayed in Mahanaim, for he is a very wealthy man. Barzillai had used everything that, that he had at his, at his disposal, all of his goods, all of his stuff, to provide for, to support the king and his kingdom, to make sure it would spread and it would be restored. And David promises and he offers, he sends a message to Barzillai that he will reward him. Notice what he says. Come over with me and I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But notice what Barzillai says down in verse 36. Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? The offer of reward that the king extends to this one who is faithful to him, Barzillai's response is, who am I? Why should you give me a reward? Notice, this is very different again from the response of Israel and Judah, who were focused on all that they had done, on all that they had accomplished, on why they deserve to be associated with the king. But Barzillai is saying here, I, I don't deserve any of this. Again, the heart of the faithful is demonstrated in their response to this message, not just of restoration, but also of reward. And Barzillai, he recognizes that he's an old man and won't be able to benefit as much from these things. But his desire is not so much for himself, but that the next generation will know of the good news and the message of the king. Notice he says, here's your servant Chimham. This is probably one of his relatives or even one of his sons or grandsons. He said, let him go over with you. My desire would be that he would know the benefits and the blessings of being associated and in a relationship with the king. And in fact, later in Jeremiah 41, we see David kept his promise. That David gave Chimham lands in Bethlehem. And that he always dwelt in and was provided for and cared for by the king. This message of reward. It's very similar to what our King Jesus says to us. Don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy. I mean, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will not be taken away. That will be rewarded to you. Or what... We hear Jesus saying to his disciples in Mark chapter 10. When the disciples are arguing about how it is impossible for man to be made right with God. He says they were extremely astonished. Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and he said with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Notice what Jesus says it's impossible for you to redeem and save yourself. God does the saving work. But whatever you give up for the sake of knowing Jesus, 
will be returned to you. When He comes again, He will reward His people. As we look and hope in the promises of our King and hear His message, should we too not be moved to worship and grace, to, to, to respond to this message that He communicates to His faithful people of restoration and of reward, of not being focused on ourselves and what we have done, but on looking to Him and what He has done, graciously providing for us. This is the Gospel and the proper response that those who hear this message of repentance and faith would turn to Christ, hoping and resting, not in what we've done, but in what Jesus has done, confident that this message that He communicates to us of restoration, of all things ravaged by sin, will be restored, and of reward, of knowledge, of Him, and living in His kingdom forever. Do you hear the message of King Jesus? He's returning. How will you respond to the message that Jesus offers and communicates to His people this morning? Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank You uh, for Your ruling and Your reigning. We thank You uh, that You are uh, the One with authority and power. We thank You that You are the patient and gracious One that extends these messages to Your people. We pray that You would give us the grace and the mercy to respond appropriately and to worship and rest in You alone. Amen.